0: Today, on Bread for the Broken, with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Bread for the
1: broken. You can judge Jesus now. Just have, have the understanding you will stand before him one day, where he is the judge. So judge right, judge fairly. We will all stand before him book of Philippians says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The wisest thing to do is to do that now,
0: because it's too late then. Today Pastor James will remind you that the ultimate judge is Jesus. It can be easy to judge others. You see someone else caught up in sin and wonder why they just don't stop. But when was the last time you took time to examine your own heart? We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It isn't our job to judge other people for their sin, but to help them turn their eyes towards Jesus. He ultimately will be the judge of what we've done here on earth. So look to Jesus, and He'll fill you with compassion. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 14, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken.
1: Mark chapter 14, we are actually going to finish out this chapter. We'll be picking up in verse 53. Let me provide you some context here. we found ourselves in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus and his disciples. And last we talked about, you know, Jesus was praying and then Judas showed up with the regiment, you know, of temple officers, but then also some Roman soldiers. The Gospel of John lets us know that. And Judas went up to Jesus and he kissed him on the cheek in the ultimate, most despicable act of betrayal ever, ever, hands down, nothing compares to that. And so he was identifying to the soldiers and to the the guards who Jesus was. And so he did that by kissing him on the cheek and thus, you know, setting him up to be physically handled by all these guys, and we'll see that he'll be bound, and they're going to they're gonna forcibly remove him from the garden and take him to a few illegal trials. In the midst of that, Jesus had already told all of his disciples, you're going to bell on me. You're going to bell on me. These guys are going to show up. I'm going to be arrested, and you will all bell on me. And Peter, with his bravado and arrogance, I think, it's like I will never leave you. I'm Jesus. I you, again. I don't. I think I need to remind you how great I am because you seem to have forgotten that I'm the best. I'm the biggest. I'm the strongest. Nobody's going to mess with you, and nobody's going to mess with me. And Jesus, is like, uh huh. Okay, um, Peter. Not only will you desert me, but you will flat out reject me. You will deny me. You'll deny me. He's like, I'll die with you. Is what Peter says. I'll die with you, Jesus. Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. I'll die with you. I'm that committed to you. Anytime you get in that headspace, you start talking like that to Jesus, you should repent because God is not a liar. He's not a liar. And so what he said came true. And Peter would have been, he would have done really well just to have been like, you know, maybe you know what you're talking about and I don't. So I'll just listen to you. But that's not who he was. And he needed to go through this moment to learn. This next part will forever change Peter, forever change him. He needed this moment, an act of humility. Uh, And I love that. I mean, it's displayed in in all the gospel accounts for the most part. And here, and Peter's a, you know, kind of a co-author with Mark for this gospel of Mark. And he just, he's going to let us know, let me show you how bad it got for me. Let me show you, maybe you can find comfort in my act of rebellion, it's kind of what he's going to do for us. So, so the scene shifts from the garden to the high priest's home. And I need to throw some things out here because Mark doesn't include all the details. He doesn't need to, but there's, there's a lot of stages that happen from this point on. The first high priest home that Jesus is going to go to is that of actually Annas, who was the high priest, but he's no longer the high priest. Okay, he was appointed for at one point in time, and then Pilate took over, and then he appointed another high priest. But they're all still from Annas's family. He had like, I think, four or five sons. And in this story, Annas used to be the high priest and is still kind of recognized as the high priest because a Roman official booted him out, and the Jews don't really recognize the Roman officials. Okay, but you're also going to see another name, Caiaphas. That's Annas' son-in-law, who is, he has been put in place as the acting high priest. I say this stuff because when we go through some of these names, I'm trying to clear any fog that you may have of like, well, wait, who, how many high priests do they have? They have one, one high priest. Technically the high priest that they have is Jesus. Okay. But in their system at this day, they had one acting high priest. And then the guy who used to be the high priest it's still kind of running the show. We see that in our politics too, right? And the old guy gets, you know, he's done, but then a new guy comes in. Well, the old guy's still kind of pulling the strings, so to speak. We see that happen all the time, okay? It's no different back then. So verse 53 is where this picks up. They took Jesus to the high priest's home. This is Annas's home, okay? Where the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law, or the scribes, had gathered... Okay, so you have this trial that's going to happen. Keep in mind, this is still in the middle of the night. This is maybe around 3 o'clock in the morning, okay? One of the reasons that makes this an illegal trial is you don't hold, you don't hold trials in the middle of the night, period. And you certainly don't hold a capital offense trial in the middle of the night. They bre- they're breaking all sorts of rules. They are breaking all sorts of rules, Okay. But they, they take him to the high priest's home. They got everybody already assembled there, because remember, they were partnering with Judas. Judas was going to take the guys to go get Jesus and then lead them back to this illegal last-minute trial that's, that they already have set up. And just so you understand this, they've already declared Jesus guilty before he even gets in their presence, okay? Not innocent before proven guilty. He has been proven guilty without even a chance of proving his innocence. That's how they're functioning, this thing. Meanwhile, verse 54, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. There he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. This is rich in imagery, okay? So yes, Peter belled, but Peter got like maybe a second shot of courage because he belled on him, but then he's like, no, 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 I got to follow with him as close as I can, Peter obviously has some sort of relationship or is known maybe by the high priest because you can't just go into this guy's courtyard if you want to, but somehow there was a connection there. And the thought is it's maybe John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, had a friendship with the high priest. Okay. Because in John's gospel, you'll note that he, he references two individuals that were one of the, the leading officials, Nicodemus and, um, Joseph of Arimathea, right? Peter goes in there and what I, what I, I want you to note about this is he sits with the guards, warming himself by their fire. These are the same guards who just arrested Jesus. You can envision this. You have a, a house that you walk into a courtyard, an open courtyard, and it's a multi-level house. It's a two-story house, right? And so the meeting would happen on this upper level where it was pretty clear. So down on the lower the lower level there in the courtyard, they have a little fire going and it's just surrounded by soldiers and then here walks peter a galilean one of christ's followers and he wants to stay close enough probably within an earshot so he can maybe hear what's going on and what they're doing to his jesus but he's warming his hands and, and in the greek it talks about he is he is facing the fire so that his face is exposed so there's no hiding But he is openly warming his hands in a circle with guards who just arrested Jesus. I credit him for coming back. I have respect for him for coming back. There's a, there's a certain element of stubbornness that we can appreciate, I think, right? We all maybe have a little bit of that in us, right? A little determinedness. Maybe that's a nicer way of saying it, right? mule ish or whatever you want to say, right? That's, that's me. I'm like this big donkey. I'm just so stubborn. And some of that's good, and then too much of it can be a bad thing. I admire Peter. So yes, he did run away, but he came back. But he came back. But Peter, why are you finding comfort amongst the enemy? These are the dudes that just arrested your Jesus. They physically laid hands on Jesus. Not in a nice way. And there's no reading of the Miranda rites or anything like that, right? They're not, no, they are accosting Jesus and they are binding him. And they're going to forcibly remove him from the garden and take him to the high priest's home. So there's Peter and he's on the outside and he's warming himself by the fire. Now we get a little bit of an insight into what was going on in this trial. And if you're reading through this, and maybe you've never thought about this before, but you'd be like, well, how do they know what was said in there? Because if Peter, could he, is he close enough to hear what was going on? More than likely, you have some guys in this meeting, because there's like 71 on the Sanhedrin, um, individuals that are part of the Sanhedrin. Some of those guys were probably secret followers of Jesus, guys on the inside, Okay. So anyways, you may have never thought about that, and that's not probably not going to change your life, but I figure I should throw that in there. Because I read through that, and i think, thinking like, well, who, how'd they know what they said? Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit has inspired this word, but I still think like, and then you read John's gospel, and you're like, oh, wait, there were guys who were definitely a part of the crew. Nicodemus was a guy who we believe was born again, and he was probably present at this meeting, okay? So inside, verse 55, the leading priests and the entire high council We're trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. So they've already determined his fate. We're going to kill you. Now we just have to find evidence or reason to justify the means. We already know we're going to kill you. They've been plotting to kill Jesus for years now since he showed up on the scene. You have Jesus doing his earthly ministry for about three years. And almost from day one, the religious leaders were looking for a way to kill Jesus. Jesus. And now they have their moment. Now they have their opportunity. And they only have this opportunity because God has allowed it to happen. Because the time is right. So they think they're, they think they got it all under control. Little do they know, they're just following and acting out God's will. So here they are, they're, they're trying to find evidence against him so they could put him to death. But they couldn't find anything. Nothing no charges to bring against this guy. This guy that they treated like a deadly, violent criminal when they met him in the garden by all the people that they had with him with the swords and the clubs. And Jesus is like, I was with you in the temple all the time. You've heard what I taught. Why are you bringing all these guys with you? This is a little excessive, don't you think? But they were treating him like he was some sort of dangerous criminal. And here they are, they're, they're examining him and they're bringing all these false witnesses into this thing. They, they have them there present. It says they couldn't find any evidence against Jesus so they, uh, so they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any. Verse 56, many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Finally, some men stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days, I will build another made without human hands. But even then, they, they didn't get their story straight. So you, know, you understand how that works with people who lie? If you tell a lie, you've got to remember all the details forever. Because if anybody asks you a question about it, then you're just searching. You're scrambling. If you just tell the truth, you never have to remember what you said. You don't got to remember the story. You don't got to remember all the stuff. But here's these guys, all these false witnesses, they come together and they're like, we've got to find something. We've got to find something. Did, did he say anything? Did anybody hear anything? No, no, no. Well, wait, I heard him talk about he was going to destroy the temple. That's a capital offense. If you destroy a, a place of religious gathering, that's a capital offense. Oh, and the other guy, yeah, yeah, I heard him say, and the, but they couldn't get their story straight. Did he actually say this? Yes and no. Yes and no. Remember, he was walking through the city of Jerusalem there in this, this passion week, this final week of his life. And the disciples are like, Jesus, look at all these beautiful buildings. Look at these structures. Isn't this amazing? And Jesus is like, nah, it's all coming down. But then he was specifically, he, he made this statement, but he'd made it about himself, clearly. Now, we see that as clearly. It would have been a, a mystery to these guys, but he's saying, destroy this temple and I'll raise it back up in three days. They thought he was talking about the physical temple, which you can't say those types of things. So they kind of have something, but it just falls flat. Because even the guys who are saying stuff can't get their story straight, right? This is like your favorite episode of Judge Judy, right? Where like she's on the ruling from her bench or whatever, and, and these people are just making up all these stories. She's just calling them out. And she's humiliating them, right? Because they, they're just liars, right? Like, get your story straight. Here is... The high priest being embarrassed, embarrassed, because nobody can get their story straight. And there's no evidence against Jesus. Verse 60, the high priest, he's had it. He's fed up. He stood up before the others and asked Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? Because uh, we know from Isaiah, what, Isaiah chapter 53 like a lamb led to the slaughter he, he he didn't make any noise he didn't say anything and he doesn't need to say anything about these accusations because they're they're going nowhere so he's just sitting there just quiet just hanging out as these guys are just scrambling trying to figure out how are we going to get this guy and then the high priest just gets frustrated stands up before the others and asks jesus well aren't you going to answer these charges what charges what charges Bring something that I can answer, and I'll answer it. But I I don't need to answer your charges. This is a joke. This whole trial thing, it's a joke. It's an embarrassment is what it is. He says, what do you say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? The Son of the Blessed One is a term that they would use to describe God. Because they wouldn't say God. Okay? So he is flat out asking him, like, Are you the Messiah or not? Are you the Messiah, the Son of God? Is that who you are? Right? So here's this high priest who's just completely frustrated. And he begins to really kind of testify about Jesus in the presence of others. That's kind of what's happening here. Jesus in a silence drew out out of frustration this guy saying, like, okay, are you the Messiah? asking him the key question. And here in the Gospels, we see one of, one of the first times where Jesus publicly declares, yeah, this is who I am. All the times leading up to this, when he healed individuals, he told them, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Why? Because it's not my time. It's not time yet. Now it's time. And so this high priest asked him, and Jesus makes this crazy, bold statement. Verse 62, I am, I am. That's a big deal in the Jewish culture. That's a big deal for these guys. That says way more than what it does for you and I. You know, you're like, hey, are you this person? Yeah, I am. Okay, cool. No, for them to hear I am draws them all the way back to Moses in that burning bush. Who do you say? Who who am I supposed to say sent me? Tell them that I am, that I am, sent you. That was God to Moses. What's your name? As Moses is saying, who do I, I got to go back. Uh, you know, after I, I, he had his own debacle in trying to rescue the children of Israel and he murdered an Egyptian and then he ran away for 40 years learned how to be a shepherd in the wilderness and then he met God in the desert, in the wilderness and he's like, I got to go back. Are you, cra- are you crazy? I can't even talk. I got a speech impediment. Like, and you want me to go back? And he's like, yeah, I want you to go back. Take Aaron with you. Oh, by the way, he's on his way here right now. Well, then who do I say sent me? I am sent you. The great I am sent you. And here's Jesus. I am. This would about knock these guys over, him making this statement. But then he goes on to say this. And you will see the son of man. That's a big messianic thing. Son of man. You will see the son of man seated at the place of power at God's right hand and coming in the clouds of heaven. That's like a bombshell just went off in this illegal courtroom proceeding. High priest is frustrated. All the liars can't get their story straight. He's like, ah, I just had enough. Are you the Messiah? You're looking at him. I am. Oh, by the way, there will be a day where you will stand before me and I will be the judge. The tables will turn. The day is coming when the tables will turn. You're judging me now? I'll judge you down the road. That's a big, big, powerful statement from Jesus who is bound as a prisoner in their presence. That's a major, major statement. You can judge Jesus now. Just have have the understanding you will stand before him one day where he is the judge. So judge right, judge fairly. We will all stand before him. Book of Philippians says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The wisest thing to do is to do that now because it's too late then. Can you imagine? I mean, that's one element that makes hell, hell. Okay. Yes, I know fire, brimstone, and all that fun stuff that pastors for many years have painted those pictures. That's not the worst part about hell. The worst part about hell is the fact that you just kneeled before Jesus, finally recognizing him as who he is, and forever you are separated from him. And you live with that reality for eternity, because hell is eternity. You can judge him now, judge rightly, judge fairly, but he is the judge who is coming back soon, and all will stand before him. That's a big deal. It's a powerful thing. That's something we need, to, we need to be reminded of sometimes because we always, you know, Jesus is my buddy. Yeah, okay, I get what you're saying. He's your buddy. Yeah, best friend. Okay, I, that's a little, irre- you know, I, I don't know about that's He's God, okay? And he's coming back and he's going to be a judge. And he's the best thing and he's loving and he's gracious and he's compassionate and he's merciful and he's slow to anger. He is all of those things. He is peace. He is patience. He is hope. He is all of that. But he is also judge. We as Americans do not like that part. No, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell, no, I don't, nobody could judge me. Uh, well, I'm sorry, but truth is, people can judge you. And that's, you, should, you should not be so concerned with people judging you. We should be concerned with, first and foremost, Jesus and when we stand before Him, covered by His blood, I have no fear of that time at all. And you shouldn't either. You shouldn't either. Your works will be judged. What you do for Him will be judged by the judge. So these are things that we need to keep fresh on our brains as we are here as Christians called to a mission to serve Christ. We will all stand before Him. If you're a Christ follower, You'll get into this new heaven and new earth, and there's supposed to be some blessings and rewards on behalf, you know, for you that's been saved up in heaven, and I don't know what any of that means, and I don't know what it looks like. I wish I could elaborate more on you, more for you, but I just don't know. But I know I might have a small pile, maybe a small little box, and I'm like, what's that box? That's Well, that's your stuff. Okay, sweet. I got something. That's amazing. God, that's a miracle in and of itself. The fact that I'm in is always good enough for me. If there's anything else, it's a bonus. And heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. But here is these religious leaders thinking they're judging him, and he just gives them a heads up. I will be judging you one day. I will be judging you one day. So yes, he does declare his deity here he is the messiah he is the son of god it is god the father god the son and god the holy spirit the three are one okay he does declare that if anybody tells you he never said he was god by him claiming to be the messiah he is claiming to be god just so we understand that it's, there's some bad theology out there that we just need to have a heads up about but this is who jesus is
2: Hopeless, hopeless, bread for
0: the broken. Yeah. We're so glad that you joined us for a look at the Gospel of Mark here on Bread for the Broken. Pastor James will continue to take you verse by verse through this New Testament book about Jesus. There's so much to learn. We pray that you've heard something today that's drawn you deeper into your relationship with the Lord. Do you have questions about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus? Well, we would love to hear from you and talk more. So go to breadforthebroken.com and click on contact to leave a message for us. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. Or if you're in the Galveston area, we would love to get to know you in person too. Join us on Sundays or Thursdays as we study God's Word together at Calvary Galveston. You'll find service times, more information, and directions at our website. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. We're so grateful for our listening audience. And if this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you consider teaming up with us in a financial way? A lot is done to get these teachings out on the radio. And we're so grateful for those who feel led by God to contribute in that way. Simply go to the About tab on our website and you'll find the Donate link. We'd also like to ask you to be praying for us and for your fellow listeners. We can all use God's guidance and continued grace as we navigate this world with Him. Thanks for praying. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can also find it on our website, breadforthebroken.com. Thanks again for tuning in today to Bread for the Broken.